Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. What's good, everyone? Welcome to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. I'm Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. We have a wonderful podcast ahead of us today as I spoke with Cooper Smither. Cooper is the founder of Raptors Playbook and writes for Raptors Republic. He's also written for The Athletic and Sports Illustrate, Illustrated's The Cauldron. In other words, we're very fortunate to have him on today's pod. Cooper is an X's and O's genius, so I really want to give you guys that inside look about what to expect this series between the Bucks and the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. Without further ado, let's get right into it. All right, I am now here with our guest for today's podcast, Cooper. Cooper is a founder founder of Raptors Playbook, and you can find him on Twitter at CoopNBA. Cooper, how are you doing tonight? Whatever time it is, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm ready. I'm excited for this. Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic heading into this series? What's your general thoughts for this Eastern Conference showdown? Yeah, broadly speaking, I think um, coming off the pretty much the greatest moment in Raptors uh, history, um, obviously there's some amounts of optimism, but the Bucks are definitely a special team. So I think from a Raptors perspective, uh, it'll definitely be a tough one. Um, probably leaning more towards pessimism on that side. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a good series. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to it. I know that a lot of times in these series, fans, Twitter, there's bad blood going back and forth. But I feel like these are two fan bases that can relate pretty well. And so mm. I don't expect to get too chippy i mean there's always those corners but i think it'll go well so let's just dive right in and get into the questions i know that you're a big x's and o's guy Mm -hmm. and so i really i think that your you know how you view this team the raptors and that inside knowledge that you have will be huge so i think the biggest topic is the matchup aspect of the game because that's always such a huge piece especially in the postseason so do you think that Kawhi larner Kawhi Leonard will guard Giannis in this series, or how do you think the Raptors match up with Giannis? Yeah, I think it'll be definitely tough. I don't think anything will uh, be black and white in regards to matchups. They rarely are, especially with how often teams like the Raptors switch. Yeah. Um, but just the the tendency so far with the Raptors seem to be uh, they wait to the last moment to put Kawhi Leonard on uh, the biggest threat. They're, they're not going to start out with that. Most likely, especially considering what we've seen in the regular season, it definitely looks like uh, Siakam uh, will start on him from uh, what we've seen in the regular season. But uh, if the Sixers series is any indication, they moved Kawhi all over the court, kind of. They started on Simmons uh, because they had great success in the regular season with Kawhi guarding him. But then as the series progressed and towards Game 7, 
Uh, when Jimmy Butler emerged as a huge threat offensively for the Sixers, he kind of became their de facto point guard. They moved quiet over to him, and he gave them some more trouble. So uh, I'd expect something similar in that regards for the Raptors. Probably don't start out with Kawhi on Giannis. Um, maybe a couple of tight possessions end of game uh, if it gets close early in the series. But really, I'd expect that to be a later mid to late series adjustment if, for the Raptors if it comes down to it. Do you think Kawhi would do a decent job or a good job? I mean, obviously he's one of the elite defenders, but Giannis is kind of a different beast. How do you think Kawhi mm-hmm. would even do in that matchup? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, with the Sixers, at least, if we're trying to use the playoffs as a, a sort of a barometer, the real reason he became effective on Butler was because uh, Butler pretty much got uh, an advantage anytime he was in ball screens or handoffs with Danny Green or any of the other defenders on him. He always was able to manage to get them on his hip, and from then on in, you're not getting back in front of Jimmy Butler type thing. Uh, Kawhi was really able to push him off his spot. He didn't let him get below the free throw line and put Kawhi on his back. He kind of uh, made him take wider angles towards the rim and made him uncomfortable. Giannis isn't uh, such a tight quarters come from a free throw line handoff and turn and keep the defender on their back type player. Uh, so in that regards, I don't think Kawhi's going to be effective in the same manner. Uh, but even just a change of pace type thing, if you're going to put some pressure on the ball and try and keep Giannis away from the hoop, Kawhi's pretty damn good at that. So uh, I think even in terms of just giving Giannis a different look from Siakam, uh, who's closer in physical stature, uh, Kawhi gives a more traditional main ball handler defender type feel. And then from then on, even if he can't contain him one-on-one, which it seems like no one can in the NBA, uh, the Raptors are going to send help. They're a very aggressive digging team from all over the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they love to do. So Kawhi might not be the be-all, end-all defender, even if they go later in the series to him, but uh, definitely a change of pace. And the Raptors, they switch pretty liberally. You know, I've I've seen just going back through the film, at least my observation is just even on simple off-screen action, they'll switch if it involves Giannis, and then Giannis could maybe get a a more advantageous matchup that way. Um, But I think, you know, from a Bucks perspective, I think Giannis could win that matchup, but Kawhi still scares the hell out of me. I mean, he's such an elite defender. He's so fundamentally sound, and I think that, you know, his reputation goes a long way too as far as he just is such a great defender that I think he, I'm worried he might give Giannis fits. Um, but I just think that, like you're saying, I don't know, at least from my point of view, if the Raptors would want to go with that matchup to start out with because Kawhi has been their only consistent offensive player as well. And mm-hmm. so then you're asking him to work doubly hard on defense. And then Giannis, he he draws a lot of fouls, and so there's always that risk of Kawhi getting into foul trouble too, and then the, Toronto's really in trouble if Leonard gets in quick foul trouble and has to sit out a few minutes here and there. So, I mean, I hope, just because I'm worried about Kawhi defending Giannis, that they stick with Siakam. I think Giannis, Siakam on paper does, you know, looks like he could play that part as far as he has a good combination of size. He's not the strongest person, but he's not a pushover either. And he also has good agility on the perimeter. But I think Giannis is just bigger and stronger and longer than he is. So I think that, at least from my perspective, Giannis, it's more favorable, especially than an Al Horford in Boston. So I think Giannis will have a pretty good series from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another thing with Siakam is, uh, 
from my perspective, at least defensively, his versatility is obviously a huge uh, yeah, yeah. benefit to him. But the other thing is because of his uh, foot speed and length, he's really great at denying the ball. He does a ton of work before his matchup even catches the ball. With Giannis, that's not so much of the game, right? Philadelphia has a ton of uh, ball reversals into handoffs, so there's opportunity to deny the eventual uh, main option on offense. It's not similar in regards to Giannis. If he's coming down after pulling down a rebound and going coast to coast, there's no denying him the ball. He's already got it. So not to say that Pascal Siakam is only good defensively because he can deny his uh, match of the ball, but that's certainly an aspect that doesn't seem as relevant in this series when guarding Giannis. Yeah, and I fully expect Siakam and Serge Ibaka to get a decent amount of blocks on Giannis. You know, they just have such great length, great timing on that. And so, and Giannis was... was Oddly, uh, one of the most blocked players in the NBA this past mm-hmm. season. So I expect them definitely to have their fair share of moments where they get their hands on those shots, but also they'll have probably more moments where they get scored over or on. Um, so to keep it moving, but to keep with matchups, how do you think that, well, I guess I'll share my perspective first. So I, I think that the Bucks will go with Chris Middleton on Kawhi Leonard for basically all of their minutes that they share together. Middleton, I mean, nobody can shut down Kawhi, but he did a, a pretty decent above average job on Leonard. And we really saw issues when Giannis tried to guard Kawhi. Kawhi is just too quick for him. They went to a lot of a, this pick and roll where Giannis just got stuck on the ball screens and Leonard was able to take advantage of that, whether it be getting all the way to the rim or hitting those mid-range pull-ups. How do you think the Raptors like that matchup of Middleton on Leonard in this series? Yeah, I think really even putting Giannis on him is a bit of a waste uh-huh. uh, to take advantage of how Giannis could really be a, an effective defensive player against the Raptors team. Middleton, he's uh, nowhere near a small player and pretty much every single player Kawhi matches up with is a mismatch in some form or fashion, right? Yeah. Uh, guys that are six, eight usually can't keep up laterally um, with his handles and speed. And then guys that are below his height, they don't have the bulk to keep him out of the paint because he he just trucks guys. Um, obviously, Chris Middleton probably skews towards the latter of those two if we're going to put him into a wing defender bucket. But size-wise, he's kind of in the range of what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the thing with Kawhi is even if your main defender is good, he hits incredibly tough shots. Yes, that, yes. That's his thing, right? If you look at just a kind of... A, Blanket rule shot quality for the entire league based off the shots he takes. A lot of them aren't prototypical what you wanted of an offense. He hits a ton of tough mid-range jumpers through Orlando and Philadelphia, both series. Cooled down a bit towards the end of Philly, but he hits tough jumpers. So I think a lot of it is, even if your main defender on him is doing a stellar job, it's what are the other four guys doing as well. So Middleton seems to be the best middle ground. Um and you get Giannis off the ball, which probably is advantageous for the Bucks, anyways. Yeah, yeah. And if if I'm Budenholzer, my strategy would be stick Middleton on Kawhi. You know that he's Kawhi's going to get his. He's just that great of a player, that elite of a player. Um, but just stick Middleton on him. Don't allow Kawhi to get to the free throw line. Don't allow him to get shots in the paint. Make him work for all all his points. I mean, like I said, he's going to get his, but really just make him work for it and shut down everybody else. Make Kawhi beat him one like single-handedly and you know that's how that's probably at least how I would start out with it um 
I can definitely see an advantage to sending doubles in the post if he gets those deep passes because at least from watching him, that's something that he still hasn't perfected in his game is passing out of double teams quite yet. He seems to kind of have a little bit narrow of court vision and doesn't always see the open passes right away. So, I mean, I, I could see the Bucks going either way, but I would, in my opinion, I would just stick Middleton on him, make him work, make sure he doesn't get to the free throw line, doesn't get points around the rim, and just live with the results at least to begin with. I think one of the good things about Milwaukee is they're very versatile. They can do a bunch of different things and they don't just have to stick to one game plan. I mean, their roster construction really allows them to be creative and versatile with, with the different looks that they'll throw at Toronto. Mm -hmm. And to your point about Kawhi and his playmaking, uh, I tend to agree in that nowhere near the top of the list of the best Kawhi uh, skills is his passing ability. And it really seems to be in a range. Um, Kawhi definitely has the ability to throw fantastic passes, and he definitely has the the tendency to not throw passes when they seem wide open. Uh, but through the Raptors season, it, it seems as though, and this could be putting a narrative on something where it doesn't exist, but it seems as though at the times in which the uh, role players, if you will, from the Raptors are hitting their shots, he becomes more willing of a passer. And the times in which they start shooting 25% on open threes. He understandably becomes a little more stingy and doesn't want to pass or is a half a beat too slow. Or if the decision's about uh, 65%, you probably should pass. He'll skew the other way. Um, that's just the type of player he is. He skews towards not making the pass, especially when the other players aren't producing to the level that is their average or their uh, better capability. And for that reason, it maybe does make sense to be a little bit more aggressive. A lot of teams are kind of in their identity by this point in the season, and mm -hmm. there's a fluctuation you can have within that. But really, if Siakam's not going to hit corner threes and the role players aren't going to take shots that they've proven over their careers they can make, it kind of gives even more incentive to test Kawhi's uh, ability and even just willingness to pass to players. How how would you defend Kawhi if you're the Bucks or if you're just trying to shut him down? What would be your game plan? You've seen a lot, probably all of his games this year. How would you defend him? Yeah, the Raptors um, won't generally have him just dribble up the court. They like to bring him off a wide pin down, even if it's really just superfluous. They don't even intend for him to score off the catch. They're they're kind of a wide pin down team, or they'll screen before he gets the ball, even if it's going to end in a pick and roll or an isolation of some sort. Um, and at that point, I think you just got to be very willing to test his passing, not even his passing, his willingness to pass, because I think he does truly have the capability to make the right play. It's just the willingness, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the role player's production. Um, so yeah, if you want to show a little bit higher on screens, I know it's tough to do with a Lopez, but if you have a roaming Giannis, uh, off ball it kind of helps with that where players can be a bit more aggressive helping off ball and then when you're in the passing lanes with Giannis makes that a bit more palatable so showing high even doubling um, the Raptors theoretically have the personnel to really beat any defensive scheme yeah however in the playoffs it seems as though the theoretical version of them hasn't necessarily shown up Really, you should not be able to double Kawhi Leonard because Marcus Gasol is a fantastic short roll passer, and he's mm -hmm. taking out just three shooters that shoot 35% or well above that from deep. So theoretically, you shouldn't be able to double them, but 
it's not theoretical anymore. It's the playoffs. You either do or you don't make the shot. And because of that, I think it gives the Bucks more incentive to be aggressive. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think there's definitely lots of strategies. But yeah, I think that overall, like, Kawhi, he impresses me every time that I watch him. He's such an elite player. And I'm just, you know, I think it'll be great. Really, this is the two best teams in the Eastern Conference all season mm-hmm. long with the two best players. So I'm excited for it. I think no matter how it goes down, I'm excited to watch out how it plays out, how those X's and O's and that really the game within the game plays out because both these coaches, too, are very very good at what they do so i'm excited to see how they come up with different game plans and how one reacts to the other and all that um keeping within the matchups mike budenholzer on tuesday announced that nikola miritich is going to start for the box and for at least game one i mean budenholzer mm-hmm. didn't say that but i think it's always something that we need to talk about is that change in the starting lineup especially if Malcolm Brogdon, who's now back from an injury, gets his feet underneath him. But Miritich will be starting at least in game one. And that means he'll either defend Danny Green, um, or they could put, the Bucks could put him on Siakim and put Giannis on Danny Green. Do you have a preference on, from a Raptors standpoint, whether it be Giannis on Danny Green or, or if it's Miritich on Danny Green, which way it would be more beneficial to Toronto? More beneficial to Toronto after to this in my head. Well, I'll get, how about this? I'll give you what probably makes more sense for Milwaukee, and then we'll work backwards from there. But I think putting him on, uh, putting Miritich on green uh, is probably yes. less exploitable for the Raptors. Let's say that because That's what I think. Uh, even though green had, uh, I think it was statistically, it was his single best three point shooting season. There were times in which he was taking pull-up threes on a fast break and the Raptors had like a plus-two-man advantage and he'd still pull up. It was an incredible shooting season from Green. In the playoffs, there's been hesitancy and to be frank, he has not produced to the same level as it was in the regular season. Probably just variance. A lot of times it comes down to that. Maybe 45% from deep wasn't sustainable, but it does not seem as though Green is going to take advantage of that. He's not the type to obviously isolate, but... The Raptors have some pet plays to get him going. They'll run him off an occasional hammer screen for him in the corner or uh, bring him off hmm. some staggered screens on the baseline for a quick catch and shoot. And throughout the Philadelphia series, he seemed very hesitant to pull that when he had a sort of half-man advantage. Maybe it wasn't the full one, but an in-rhythm Danny Green would take it. And because he's not in rhythm uh, right now, it doesn't seem as though he'll take advantage of a slower player trying to recover to get him. So... I think the Bucks. it's probably more palatable to put uh, Miritich on green. And I think that gives you an advantage as well with uh, Giannis on Siakam and to roam around, especially with Siakam's shot being so um, also not in rhythm currently. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that Miritich can have an easier time defending Danny Green on the perimeter without having to necessarily worry about Green driving past him. Um, I mean, Green's quicker, but he's, that's not, that's not his thing. His thing is catch and shoot and, and that, and being on the perimeter. And I think Miritich would have an easier time on that. And then, yeah, it allows Giannis to roam a little bit more. I mean, Siakam, he had some pretty good games against the Bucks this season. Um, but he has, I mean, seemed to have lost his confidence. And I think that Philadelphia kind of gave a blueprint about maybe how to slow him down or shut him down a little bit. And that's by not playing tight on him on the perimeter, but giving him a little space and making him use his ball handling skills to try to get to the rim. And that's something that he hasn't quite all the way developed. So I think that Milwaukee will really take after 
Philadelphia in that regard and not necessarily play him so tight to the perimeter after he's put the ball on the floor. So I agree with you. I think that I think that we'll see Miritich on green and Giannis on Siakam, and we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it there's always will be adjustments, especially after game one, but I think that's a way that they'll start. Yeah, I I agree, and especially with the Giannis Siakam aspect of that matchup, because I think that's probably that's that's a really big inflection point for them. One, I believe they actually have a few different ways they can get a similar result if if uh, that doesn't work out right away, which is another reason to believe in the Bucks. They have just so many options to get a kind of similar result for neutralizing Siakam. But yeah, the blueprint Philadelphia laid out, which is do not respect is above the break three shot around. 22 to 25 percent on that this year if he hits one or two I think you just keep letting him fire away because he doesn't want to take that and stats indicate the small sample size we have is that he's not going to hit that enough to make you pay Um, and then let him get a full head of steam and as long as you're at the rim with your arms up you got as good of a shot as ever is stopping him in isolation because if you get real close to him or even a half step back it's herky-jerky spins scoop layups uh, using his momentum against you, mm-hmm. it might not be as uh, as deadly. The only worry I would say with Milwaukee compared to Philadelphia with that game plan is Joel Embiid is 7-2 and is a gigantic human being. And not to say Giannis isn't, but he definitely has some muscle and just overall weight on Giannis. He probably does 99% of players in the NBA. So maybe the head of steam that Siakam picks up as he drives to Giannis sitting at the rim. Maybe it doesn't work as well for Milwaukee. Um, but that's what I was alluding to as well. I think they could even toggle that to Lopez, mm-hmm. and he could replicate what uh, Embiid was doing if Giannis is unable to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out in this series. Um, so moving on, let's talk about the pace of the game. Because these two teams play at... A little bit different of a pace. I don't have the stats right in front of me, so I apologize if I'm wrong. But if I'm remembering correctly, the Bucks played with like the fifth fastest pace in the regular season, and the Raptors played with the fifteenth fastest. And then in the postseason, the Bucks had played with the second fastest. And I don't remember exactly where the Raptors fill out in that, but I know that they are toward the bottom. So, mm-hmm. what? How do you think? You know. Well, I guess, what pace are the Raptors going to want to play? Are they really going to want to slow this down and make this a half-court game, or do you think they'll try to run with Milwaukee? Because the Bucks are going to want to go as fast as they can, so how do you think mm-hmm. Toronto reacts to that? I think there's a few different angles to this. One uh, that's important is that the Raptors have, through this playoff run, kind of lost rotation players, one being OG and Anobi, mm-hmm. uh, just due to a freak uh, appendectomy. It's terrible that he's had such a an up and down season with things that are out of his control, but the others are just poor play from the bench. Fred Van Vliet had a pretty atrocious series against Philadelphia. Norman Powell is also pretty hit or miss. So not having a lot of bodies makes it difficult to play at a fast pace. If you're playing six and a half players in your rotation, it makes it tough to push after every make. Um, Part of what made the Raptors so good in the regular season was they can score as if it was a fast break, even if the opponent just scored. they Lowry loves to push ahead. You'll see him uh, gesturing to the referee to speed up the inbounds, pass back to him so he can get the offense going. 
he's a maniac when it comes to that, and he's always <laughs> been. But uh, Siakam will push the pace on coast to coast. Lowry, as I said, Kawhi has the freedom. Pretty much everyone has the freedom to cross the uh, the half court line. So the Raptors are capable of pushing the pace, but playing six players or six and a half to seven in your rotation makes that difficult. And then the other thing is that if guys aren't hitting open threes and you, that means the other team has momentum, they're making more shots. It's harder to run off of every single made shot than it is missed. Um, so all these things are somewhat interrelated, but the Raptors have a bit of heckle and jide with, uh, sorry, they're a bit like two sides of the same coin in that they have this side of them that can play fast with Lowry and Siakam pushing the ball. Mm-hmm. But once that first kind of wave of transition attack is stopped, uh, they slow down to, into their half-court sets and Kawhi pounding the ball and waiting to the last five seconds of the shot clock. So uh, They have a bit of both sides to them. Even if their overall pace might be slow, they have the capability to get out and run because their transition is so effective and efficient. But I would say they definitely skew, especially right now with the limited rotation and the not making of perimeter shots, they're skewing towards the pounded out and the shot clock possessions. Yeah, I mean, Toronto's only had seven players who've played in every postseason game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bucks are kind of the opposite. You know, they're too deep at every single position, and they they have the opposite challenge where they have to cut guys' minutes, you know, especially mm-hmm. with Brogdon back now. They might have to cut a player out who's been productive in this in these playoffs. Um, so I think that will really be. And, and the Bucks are just a better team in the open court. I mean, Charles, I think it was Charles Barkley or somebody from the TNT crew was saying that the Bucks are like one of the worst half court offensive teams, which just isn't true. They're just <laughs> such a good, you know, team in the open court that they want to push it, and that's how they want to play. You know, you either have to commit to stopping Giannis on the fast break or giving up an open three. You can't do both. Um, and so I think Milwaukee will really push that pace, try to get up and going, especially, you know, if guys like Kawhi Leonard and Laurie and Siakam, you know, those guys are playing close to 40 minutes. Um, you know, Milwaukee's really going to want to use that to their advantage because with any lineup, they have probably four ball handlers on the court or at least guys who can bring it up past half court as well and initiate that quick offense. So I think the Bucks will really try to push it. They aren't going to want to get bogged down where then the Raptors can pick and choose who Kawhi Leonard is guarding. And with Marcus Saul taking up the paint and stuff like that, you know, they're going to want to get those advantageous matchups as soon as possible and just push the pace that way and, and then rely on their bench too to come in and relieve their starters and keep that momentum going. You know, guys like George Hill and Pat Connaughton have been huge for the Bucks, and now they're getting Brogdon back. And so I think Milwaukee will really push that pace and really try to wear out Toronto. But also it gives the Bucks the advantage and the better opportunity to score if they're trying to, you know, quickly advance the ball up the court. Um, keep Keeping on the same topic, how much of a role do you think it'll be given how dominant the Bucks bench has been compared to the struggles Toronto have? Like, do you think that will play a factor in the series? Uh, gigantic, I'd say, especially without Ananobi because uh, he just seems like a perfect fit for this series, right? Even if no one in yeah. the NBA can defend Giannis, he kind of fits the prototype of the type of body and player you'd want out there just as an extra body at the very least even mm-hmm. and that's not even considering the upside potential of him being a pretty damn good option 
Um, so especially without him, it might be towards the end of the series if it gets there, or maybe he doesn't even make it back in time for the series. And if he does at a limited capacity. And then at that point, it's really just Fred VanVleet, it's Serge Ibaka, and Norman Powell, and anyone else is a very outside chance of making an impact. And even those three players, to an extent, have an outside chance of making an impact due to their rhythm right now. It seems as though Fred and Norman Powell especially, they don't seem as though this is their peak performance. Um, and so not having enough players to just hold the lead, let alone gain a lead, as the Bucks have been doing when they put their bench in, to just even hold the lead and not hemorrhage a point per minute, um, when they go from Lowry to Fred Van Vliet, or if they go from Kawhi Leonard to Norman Powell, uh, that's a huge story, as it was for in the Sixers series. And even on the Sixers side, when they took out Embiid, they hemorrhaged points. Um, and the Raptors have to worry about that, too, with the Bucks being so deep. And that just allows every single minute they do play with Giannis to be even more effective. You know what would be the most Bucks thing ever in this series? Is if Jody Meeks, who's drafted by Milwaukee <laughs> back in 2009 or something like that, comes in and just has a game where he hits three or four threes because he's had an absolute awful postseason. I think he's like one for 10 or something like that from downtown. So I just feel like that would be the most Milwaukee thing ever where he comes in, hits like three or four threes in a game, sparks Toronto. But yeah, sorry, that was just a random, random. (laughs) Well, you know what? He played a bit throughout the regular season. I think it was a couple different 10 days. I think on his first one, he actually had a couple of uh, big moments where he would get subbed in at the end of the first half with like three minutes left and put up eight quick points and then brought back on a second 10 day or for the rest of the season mm-hmm. um played in orlando a little bit but it just wasn't feasible to play an extended bench and looking back that the raptors got away with playing so many bench players mm-hmm. um, after seeing the Sixers series in which they pretty much played six players total it's funny looking back because at some point they had like a nine or ten man rotation and then by the end of the second round, it became a six-man rotation. <laughs> well, both them and Philly were kind of in the same situation, right? Yeah. So, all right. So let's just take a quick break here for a commercial, and we'll get right back at it. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight, we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right. I hope that was a good commercial. Like I said, I don't know what, what's popping up on there, but I hope that it was something good. For this last part with Cooper, we are going to go through and answer some of your questions on Twitter. I had tweeted out um, asking what you guys wanted to know about. And so we're just going to run through and go through those questions. So the first one is at Packer Nish. Um, 
two questions. And so the first one is, will the Bucks pace of play cause issue for the Raptors defense? I think we covered that one sufficiently. There's nothing more that I wanted to add. Cooper, is there anything that you want to add about that question about the pace of play? Uh, no, I think it's really just if the Raptors are willing to take shots that are largely considered good, they can probably keep up the pace of play. But if they continue to have this tendency to turn down open shots, that extends possessions longer and it probably works in Milwaukee's favor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the second one is under the same breath. It says, can the Raptors match the Bucks pace of play? And you just kind of answered that and says, mm-hmm. and if so, who does it favor? I mean, kind of going back, I see each team really trying to dictate that pace, and that doesn't necessarily mean that Toronto will slow things down, but I don't think that they'll necessarily want to get in that running match with Milwaukee. Um, I think that they'll definitely want to try to do things at the pace that they're comfortable with, which is right around season average, um, and Milwaukee will try to push it. I think they'll each try to impose their will. I think it'll be one of the bigger storylines, and I'm interested to see who can be more successful. And in order for the Bucks to be successful, the things that they preach are, one, don't foul, because if you're always you know, playing from the free throw line, it's hard to get out and run, and then two, rebound the defensive, on the defensive glass. So I think those will be two huge things that, that factor into this series um geez the pace of play is i should have looked at these (laughs) beforehand maybe i want to ask about that so at mcgyver 1312 says bucks going to play high pace they are fresh and have a bigger rotation how the raptors can deal with this um Mm -hmm. not the best english but i think we get the point there (laughs) um we talked about the rotation as well Cooper, anything else that you want to add about the rotation? I know we just discussed it, but anything that you wanted to add? Um, I would just say that the emergence of more rotation players from the Raptors is definitely possible, and it should be within the realm of possibility. These are players that have played well throughout their careers. Norman Powell's had big moments against the Bucks, even specifically in the playoffs. Yes, yes. Um, but like the rest of even the starting lineup, it's willingness to take open shots after an advantage has been created somewhere else on the floor. And then obviously knocking them down has been the story of the Raptors playoffs. Um, If they can even trend towards average, that really changes a lot. So the emergence of a bigger rotation is definitely possible for the Raptors. It's just uh, the past 12 games across two rounds doesn't give much confidence as to that occurring. Yeah, and it was, what, two years ago in the playoffs when Norman Powell had a pretty good series against the Bucks. Was that two, yeah, yeah. two years ago? And uh, Yeah, and he, he has a history of saving the Raptors in the postseason when things look bleak. Uh, the year okay. prior, he saved the Raptors in uh, Game 5 against Paul George when Damari Carroll and all these people had lots of trouble against Paul George in the second round draft pick came in and yes i wouldn't say shut him down but did a damn good job and had an iconic moment for the raptors so he has a history of coming in when you least expect him and maybe he does that again and he's another player that uh bucks fans have like talked about haunting them because he's technically originally drafted by milwaukee Um, the infamous greatest baskets trade yeah yes that one i still don't understand what milwaukee (laughs) was doing and that backfired awfully for them i mean geez and almost immediately (laughs) yeah yes like literally almost immediately so it is what it is at least powell hasn't turned into like this malcolm brogdon type player right he's kind of he had a couple of good years but then he's kind of regressed a little bit 
Um, yeah, he's had a very weird career arc. I know that's a bit off topic for the playoff series, no, but uh, he's uh, definitely had a weird career arc in which it seems as though for the first, the start of his career, he came up huge in playoffs, yeah. and then the he couldn't necessarily follow up. There's always a little bit of rotation issues because Terrence Ross was still on the team, and then it's his spot in the rotation would kind of be in flux. But it really just comes down to he hits his open threes. He's probably going to be good enough defensively to stay on the court, but if he doesn't, he kind of starts driving and getting in his head too much and taking really bad shots at the rim that are out of control. Um, but yeah, that's that's the Norman Powell story, succinctly. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's it's been a weird ride, but I think Bucks fans have kind of get, gotten over that, especially since he's digressed these last two years. All right, the next question is from jonathan dooley i'm not gonna say his twitter handle because i'm not sure if it's appropriate for the podcast but we'll just say it's at barstool something 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 so he says and i promise this is funny cooper i promise i did not have talked to this guy i don't know who this guy is but he says how do you defend the spain pick and roll who are the Raptors putting on Giannis? And I say that because just last night I was messaging Cooper and asking him to come on the pod, and then I was also asking about the Spain pick and roll because I'm going to write an article and do a video breakdown that will be up on Brew Hoop on Wednesday. And so Cooper had sent me some film, and so that will be coming up on Wednesday. And then here we are. Here's a question. So how how do the Bucks defend the Spain pick and roll? And we'll start with that. How do the Bucks defend that Spain pick and roll? Yeah, sure. Um, so when the uh, I would say a very quick and easy way, and it seems very within the the box defensive coverages and schemes and style of play, is to drop Lopez way way back, and he's going to be under the back screener. The Raptors call it a stack pick and roll, but it's the same thing. People have different names for it. Yeah. Spain stack. Um, typically, it's essentially just a regular pick and roll, but you're adding a third player into the mix to back screen the typical big man defender. And that big man defender, which for argument's sake will be Lopez, the Bucks are very, very likely to just drop him back way underneath the back screen so he can't even be back screened. Um, that's become one of the two trendy ways to defend the stack pick and roll. And it seems very likely that the, that's how the Bucks will do it. The other one is kind of uh, a more... Um, intricate way of switching the back screener and the on-ball defender. It doesn't seem necessary for the Bucks to do that. It seems within their style to just drop Lopez way back towards the rim, pretty much right at the restricted area and be below the back screen. Um, that gives advantages to the Raptors as well, but I think it's advantages the Bucks are willing to give up. Um, you'll have some pull-up mid-range jumpers that will be available, but if you're picking your poison, that seems within the Bucks realm of uh, what they're willing to give up. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Bucks definitely, they don't mind giving up that. They just want to protect the rim. And I should have backed up for a second. So the Spain pick and roll or the stack pick and roll, like Cooper was saying, is where it starts out with just the typical ball screen, like at the top of the key is usually where it happens. Um, you're like your five, your center setting it for a guard or a wing. And then after that ball screen is set, then... Another guard, usually a guard, comes in and sets a back screen on the five, so the guy who had just set the screen, and it 
you know, Toronto in looking at the film does a great job. They have so many different options out of that set and they run it. You said Cooper like tops out at five times a game. So they'll run it a few times a game. Um, it's hard to explain on a podcast, but that's why I recommend that you guys, well, one Cooper has a great video. So on YouTube, Cooper, what is the name of that video again? If you just search. Yeah. Uh, well, Raptors playbook is my YouTube channel. Yep. Um, I would say there's really two different ones. So one, one of the main uh, sideline out of bounds plays the Raptors have this year. They call it slob one. Um, so when they put one finger in the air during a sideline out of bounds play, they'll be running this play. It's kind of a series of handoffs that eventually lead to the stack pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way they'll calmly get to it. But in a typical half court play, um, they'll either just kind of vanilla one five pick and roll and then there'll be a back screener in there or sometimes they'll spice it up with a dribble handoff before and then circle under for uh for the stack uh but yeah i would say around five times a game is probably where they top out and really considering how often set plays are called it's it's kind of on the high end of a of how often you can expect any pet play to be right yeah 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 and so i think so Two things. Go onto YouTube, Google Toronto Raptors stack pick and roll. It'll be on there. Cooper has a great video, so make sure to check that out. And then also have an article up on Brew Hoop um, with more of a Bucks perspective and how to identify that because, yeah, like you said, it's kind of like that specific play that they'll run. And it's what I've noticed, at least, is it's not so much for Kawhi Leonard. He's not usually directly involved in that. A lot of times they'll have that role is like a you know the weak side corner or something like that but seems more of a play to get other guys going and other guys involved am i correct in that observation uh, yeah. they, they kind of i would say disperse it pretty equally especially okay. though within this playoff run because it's been so Kawhi dominant mm-hmm. it's hard for any possession really to not have Kawhi in it some form or fashion but in the regular season for sure that's that's a lowry special for for actually a few, quite a few years now. Um, mm-hmm. I think they started running it three years ago under Dwayne Casey. But yeah, now that we're in the playoffs and it's it's the Kawhi show, he's taking 39 field goals. <laughs> um, it's hard to get any possession where he's not the ball handler. But yeah, they'll, they'll disperse it around a bit. All right, cool. So uh, last question is from oh, at basket B7823683. And this basketball fan says, do you think the Raptors will struggle even more in their half-court offense? The Raptors relied on isolation when the pace slowed down, and it may not work. I'll throw this one to you, Cooper. Do you think the Raptors will struggle even more in their half-court offense in this series? It's hard to imagine they struggle more than that Philadelphia series, but I could certainly see it occurring again because it's pretty Mm self-inflicted. The Raptors' uh, issues offensively, like I was saying earlier, there theoretically should not be a way the Raptors struggle. It does not make sense for them to ever struggle. You could argue maybe they they have some defensive limitations even, even though their defenses outplay their offense. But theoretically, there should not be a way to defend the Raptors due to their having five players that shoot above 35% from deep, um, having a lot of versatility with ball handling and attacking mismatches, and then the passing from different positions. Uh, there should not be a way to defend them, but their lack of willingness to shoot open three-pointers, um, their below-average three-point shooting in the playoffs, all these factors contribute to them 
creating self-inflicted wounds offensively, which they haven't been able to overcome. So if they're going to continue to turn down open shots when, let's say, Brooke Lopez drops deep to the rim and Marcus all pops, he's not willing to take that three. It's going to be a really bad possession. Um, and the more of those that happen, that kind of weighs down the Raptors' offense. So if they continue to do that, I could see the offense continuing to uh, have difficulties here. Well, there you have it. All right, final question. What is your prediction for this series? Yeah, um, the pessimism, I guess, did uh, come through in the podcast. I think the Bucks are, <laughs> are a very, very good team, clearly. Um, they've kind of optimized a lot of what you want in a modern offensive defense. Uh, I would def- I'm leaning towards kind of the, the iconic and infamous Bucks and Six. Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily my most likely outcome I think would happen, but sorry, I wouldn't say that's like a 50% or greater chance of happening, but I think that's the most likely out of any specific outcome is box and six. Okay. And my prediction, I feel, I feel like a Homer for saying this, but I just can't get out of my head. You know, everything that we know about the Bucks over the past 91 games, shows us that they're an elite team. You know, the, mm-hmm. the amount of games that they've won by double digits, how they breeze through these playoffs. Granted, it was the Pistons who are, are, I mean, they're a lottery team, and then the Celtics who have had their issues. But Milwaukee just hasn't, in 91 games, hasn't given me, you know, reason to pause. So I feel like a homer. I feel bad. But until I'm proven otherwise, I'm going to say Bucks in five. I mean, I would go I don't see- even think that's being a homer. Honestly, if okay. I was going to lead... And you, if I was going to go towards either Bucks and seven or Bucks and five away from my original prediction, much closer to Bucks and five than I am in seven. The Raptors just not shooting anywhere near the, as well as they did in the regular season limits their ceiling a lot. Um, so I would definitely say compared to the very stylistic uh, difference in the Bucks, who will fire away, Brooke Lopez will take a few steps behind the line, and he's still very willing to shoot. The stylistic difference is going to be very apparent, so I would lean closer to Bucks in five than Bucks in seven, even even for me. So I don't think that's a homer prediction at all. Yeah, well, all right, you convinced me then. I'll say it without a guilty conscience or as guilty of a conscience. All right, well, that wraps it up with Cooper. Make sure to check him out on Twitter, at CoopNBA. He really has great insight. As you can tell, he's smart. He knows the game. Uh, So you're definitely going to want to follow him for this series and beyond. And also check out his YouTube channel. Check out his work on Raptors Republic. And he's uh, the founder of Raptors Playbook. So he just does a lot of great stuff. And you'll definitely be a smarter fan because of it. So make sure to check him out. Thanks, Cooper. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. I hope it's a good series. For sure, for sure. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bucks Film Room podcast. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. This will certainly be a great series, and I'll be back next Thursday in the normal time slot for another episode. Catch you next time, Bucks fans. Bucks fans.